Yours is the glory. 
Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge.
Thank you that we know we stand. But we forget, we forget throughout the week, we forget and when stuff happens, when craziness of our lives, God, we come together and we can remind each other that our sins are not held against us. Lord, we stand upon your, on what you have done. And Lord, the fact that you declare, you declare people like us righteous. Lord, that's our hope this morning. Stronger, 
just uh, been texting with Allie. They did a, scat, a CAT scan of Josh. They think that it's a one-time occurrence, but they will uh, check these tests and, uh, and uh, get. they will probably release him later. So please be praying for that whole family. Uh, the sign behind me says that children through third grade are dismissed for their programming. Um, uh, let me do a housekeeping thing, and then I'll come back to Josh and Allie. Um, so uh, the children are, are taken, just like every week, they're going to have their 11 o'clock Bible study. 
really, we're not canceling Bible study. We want you to get to know these people. And let me go back to Josh and Allie for a second. Um, if you grew up in the church, if you grew up Southern Baptist, you've got the IMB, the International Mission Board, and your church gives, or they have two offerings a year. They give to the State Mission Board. They give to the International Mission Board. If you grew up Assemblies of God, somebody in a back room decides who, what missionaries you support. If you grew up up north like me or up in California like me, the church has a board that decides on missionaries just like we do here. We kind of have a hybrid. Uh, we have a, a deacon team that decides what missionaries we're going to support, and we also support the International Mission Board. But all that to say is beyond the pictures that you see and the rallies that you hear when they come in and tell you all the people that God is working in and all that stuff, there is real life going on, real scary life. The stuff you face, a missionary faces. And Josh and Allie are experiencing that right now, right now. You, for those of you who have been with us this last year, you know that she gave birth to a beautiful child and she was very sick. Uh, that stuff wears on you as missionaries just like it does in the pew. And it, except you have to stand up and say, isn't God good all the time, even if you're questioning his goodness. I would never do that, but every other pastor has always done that. The truth is that Satan distracts you with all the same stuff. Why is that important? Because in about 45 minutes, you're going to be tempted to leave because you've got nothing to say to these people. You need to pray for them. They will tell you, and, and for the most part, actually believe it. As much as we need your money, we need your prayer. There is stuff going on in every one of these mission, ministries. The Mosaic Center this year just changed executive directors. And the, and the woman who's in charge is a phenomenal leader. But boy, there's a lot of supporters and people that the wind is removed from their sails. It's a scary time because there's no guarantees what happens next. It's a scary time for Paula Havard. Every year she has her fundraising banquet. And God has blessed and money comes in. And the next day you start over. And then she goes home and she's married to a guy like Kip. <laughs> you, it's, I, I just... One of the mistakes that we make in the church, and I think partially because we want it to be this way, is we forget. We know it here, but we don't know it here. I want you to own these people. I want you to love these people. I want you to weep with them and burden with them. If you can't go, we want you to go to Brazil, but if you can't go to Brazil, we want you to feel like you've been there. We want you to pray for these people. This is important. This is our task. If you have not studied the book of Thessalonians, you don't understand missions. Paul actually says, I thank you for standing with us, for supporting us financially. But we go into churches to tell them what God is doing in other places. And he says, they already know because you Thessalonians, you told them what God was doing in our midst. That's what this morning is all about. When we're done here, your kids are going to stay in their Bible study program just like they do every week. Please go out there. And if you have nothing else to say to people you've never met, ask them how you can pray for them. Nobody's asking you this morning to increase your giving or t take them on. You know, it'd be nice if you wanted to volunteer for somebody. We want you to be involved, but the, at least ask, how can we pray for you? The things that Martin and his family face as God tell leaders, you hear the criticism. We have no idea what it's like to live in that, in that setting. We have no idea what it's like to, to feed people uh, that, that are difficult to, to minister to. And even if you think me saying that is offensive, the truth is it's tough. It's tough. And we need to pray for Martin. And if you don't know who Martin is, you need to find him out there. Go find Martin. He's like going, why are you picking on me? I'm, a, I'm not an outgoing guy. That's the reason, Martin. 
These people need to love you. He's, he's actually underneath a chair, I think. <laughs> All right, so I'm done with that. I want to introduce you to a, a, a relatively new friend of mine. Steve, why don't you come on up? This is Steve Trammell, and I'm going to tell you in a minute why I'm really excited that for our first uh, missionary conference Sunday type thing he's sharing with you. Steve Trammell is the executive director of Amazon Outreach, which you have been involved with because of uh, all the way back to Mike Ship and, and Cecil and Julie Jackson taking people on the Amazon well before your time. How long have you been with them? Uh, just a couple of years. Just now. a couple of years. So some of you know Jed and that team, and has, they have gone through major transitions the past couple of years, and it landed here. And I'm excited because, uh, well, you know Kevin Hudson is our chairman of our elder board. About a year and a half ago, God called him to be on the board of this team. Actually, it's been more than two years now, right? Because before Steve came, he was on that board. And he went on that board, and God has used him to transition, major transitions. Well, why didn't we hear about it? Because nobody's going to tell you about difficult transition periods, you guys. That's not, that's not how you raise money or interest. That's not how you do that. You pray. And I'm excited because they went out and found a pastor. For 18 years, Steve was a pastor of a church that's much like Carpenter's Way in Tyler. And, and let me tell you, the heart of a pastor is unique. It's not the same as an evangelist. It's not the same as a missionary. You kind of have been... Uh, we kind of mix them all together because most of us grew up with pastors that were actually evangelists, not pastors. They weren't shepherds or disciplers. They were gospel reachers, so every Sunday was about that. I'm excited because Amazon Outreach has a guy at the helm who has a passion for the church. And at this position in the States, he may go a couple of times of the year to Brazil, but his ministry is actually to us. He comes into churches, and he sets vision so that those people, no offense, can do the work, and we can send people. In the meantime, he has the ugly job of raising finances, keeping the vision out there, and informing us of how to pray. And this morning, uh, when we started thinking about doing this, I met with Steve, and I told him what I, if we were thinking about this, and I asked him if he would come preach. And I'm excited because Steve's going to share with you why, and this is not, he's not going to answer this question, but this is really what he's talking about. Why would you leave a safe pastorate to go into a ministry that's struggling financially to be a missionary. And he's going to tell you why missions matters. Because I'm, I know you. I know the church. I've been doing this 33 years. And one of the things that happens when you say we're going to have a missionary is attendance goes down. We laugh, but we all know that's true because it's like, oh, well, I can take the Sunday off. This is really, really important. And he's going to share with you why. But you know, he's not sharing with you as a guy who's been in Papua New Guinea for 40 years. Are you 40 yet? I know, I was being nice. Um, but grandpa. He's <laughs> Ryan is your grandson? Ryland. Very close, though. Yeah, Ryland. And then number two is about to get here. So. Number, that's number an interesting two. name, number two. That's going to affect, <laughs> that will affect that child psychologically, but it's sure going to be fun to pray for. Okay. Anyway, I'm done introducing you. It is a privilege. Please do not go to sleep. Please do not turn off the internet. You need to hear what this man has to say because he just transitioned courageously with his wife from a fairly safe church ministry to a very unsafe international ministry with enormous responsibilities on his shoulders. And Kevin and Pam and I have met on multiple occasions to pray specifically for you. We prayed for you before you came. We prayed for you when you came, and we are so excited. God is blessing their ministry in every facet right now, and many of us participate with them financially and are in the know. So thank you, Steve, for being here. He promised he was not going to bring the snakes out. If he does, it's not on me. But it will be interesting. <laughs> Steve, thanks. God bless right. you, buddy. Thank you so much, Mark. 
Mark, I didn't think you were going to tell them about my 12 years in prison and my deep persecution. You, that was a much better testimony than my real one, so sorry I missed out on, on getting to hear that one. Well, good morning, Carpenter's Way. It is a privilege to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Mark, for the opportunity to be here this morning. And you have a special place in my heart because uh, my first Amazon outreach trip was with Carpenter's Way, and I got to meet the Hudsons and a number of you I've been on mission trips with and got to hug your neck. And uh, so you have a very special place in my heart. Um, it's really ironic that I'm even here this morning. And the reason being is that I was a pastor for 23 years, and actually it was 19 years, Mark, at Tyler, one church, and the irony is I didn't value short-term missions. I'm like, what difference can you really make in a week? Let's just give to missions, let's pray for missions. I mean, how can you not be a follower of Jesus and, and not believe in the Great Commission, which means the ends of the earth, but the truth was I was a short-term mission skeptic, in God's grace and humor, here I am, the leader of a short-term mission organization. How did that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you turn your Bibles to Psalm 96.3, uh, really verse 1 kind of sets the tone where it says, Sing a new song to the Lord. And, and the truth is, God put a new song in my heart, and I want to share with you that journey and four specific things that happened in me that will happen in you is you too gain God's heart for the nations. Now I know for most of you probably I'm preaching to the choir that you already love the nations, that you're already there because you're part of a church that is not centered on itself but is outwardly focused, that you know that the Word of God requires that you be on mission, that you care for the other nations besides your family, your church, your city, your country. But in Psalm 96.3, that was the song that God put in my heart. You see, I went to the Amazon in 2015, and God literally crushed my short-term mission skepticism. As I saw him supernaturally work through me in these beautiful people who need Jesus. In fact, uh, if you'd pull the, the chief up, uh, I want to show you a picture of a guy that, that was kind of one of my early experiences on the river, if you can find that. Uh, I was in a village, this guy right here, my very first trip to the Amazon, he, he comes flailing his hands around, it sounds like he's shouting at us and he's speaking some language I don't know, and I'm thinking, we better get out of here, this isn't good. I remember Jim Elliott, and this, this is getting scary. And, uh, anyway, no, the, the translator said, no, no, he's thanking the missionaries that came to his village two years earlier, because before Jesus, they were wild. Now, I've... I've know about Jim Elliott, so I can imagine what that might have been like, but I did get a chance to talk to the son-in-law the next day, and I said, so what did you believe before Jesus? And they said, well, um, we worshiped the river or the trees, or if we shot an animal that got up, then, then we would worship it, and you can imagine the moral darkness it would be if you just kind of have to make it up as you go, living in fear of the spirits and just trying to appease anybody up there to help make their life easier. When the gospel gets into a village, it takes away some of that, that, that darkness and brings light to community. And I thought, well, this, this is pretty cool stuff. I, I'm kind of at the ends of the earth here. I, in fact, one village I preached in English uh, and to Portuguese. I didn't do the Portuguese part. And then to Satare, which is a, an indigenous nation that you 
are at the front of the tip of the spear for the gospel on the Amazon River with the Satare Malwe's people. And you probably heard about that a few weeks ago if you were here when Pam shared the incredible story that you are playing a part of for the nations. Well, let's look at the verse here, and we're just going to camp out in this one verse. I heard Mark read the whole book of Ecclesiastes the other Sunday. We're just going to do one verse, okay? <laughs> verse 3 says, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all the people. I just want you to get that down into your heart. I want you, if you don't already have it, to gain God's heart for the nation. Here's four specific things as we look at this, that I can tell personally happened to me that I pray will happen to you. My prayer was this morning that some of you that didn't know you're going to go on mission internationally, you're going to go. That God's going to use this message to stir your heart and no longer allow you to excuse yourself from going to the nations. But it begins with this. The first thing is we must enlarge our vision. He says, declare his glory, not among just ourselves, because we all want to go to heaven, and not just to our family, which is our first ministry, and not just to our church, which we love, and not just our city or our nation, but it says, declare his glory among the nations, meaning that, that they, he has a much larger vision than the average Christian has for their own life. I mean, we're just trying to get through raising our families and paying our bills and and getting through the challenges and the ups and downs of life. But God says, if you get camped out there, you're going to miss what I have in store for you because I've got the nations in mind. That is my heart. And the truth is, if you will get outwardly focused and you begin to think about what God's doing in the world, it's amazing how it will empower you to live out your personal life. You know, we see this working itself out in such lesser ways. I mean, there's a lot of things that people have gotten passionate about and have spread to the nations. I uh, heard about a missionary that was in Madagascar. And they ran across an indigenous man, and they said, and he said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, well, we came from the United States, and we're here to talk to people about Jesus. And he said, well, I've never heard of Jesus, but do you have any Coca-Cola? I mean, there are people in the world more passionate about getting sugar water in every person's hand in the world than we are the living water of Jesus Christ. We need as big a vision as Coca-Cola that would say we want everyone not to have sugar water, but Jesus Christ in their heart. And it begins with enlarging our vision to say it's not just about me and having a better life. It is about that. Most certainly it is. But that's as far as we can see. If our vision is next Sunday, if our vision is tomorrow, then God has a lot of work to do in our hearts. I, I love the story the missionary told about being in Africa. He was under a tree, and he sees something inscribed, and he says, well, what that? He said, well, this is the church. Well, that's interesting. Well, what does that say there? And it said, World Outreach Center. I kind of like that small, part, that small church had a large vision. And that's what Carpenter's Way is. You're, you're a world outreach center. Yes, you do great work here. But it's too short-sighted to be satisfied and say, yeah, we want to be a really good church here. We, we want to be a church for the nations. And you're, you're doing that, but some of you hadn't bought into it yet. And so that leads to the next thing. We must overcome the obstacles that keep us from going. 
It says, declare His glory among the nations and among all peoples. And I, I, I know Mark's such an expositor, I thought, well, I'm going to press him with a little, you know, digging into the original language. And I looked it up, and there wasn't anything there. It's a phrase. I thought, some deep insight's going to come from the word among, and, and, and the only insight is you can't separate it from the people. And I thought, well, that's a good insight. Meaning that you can't declare among unless you're actually with the people. They're inseparable. It's a phrase. And yet, there are so many things that we allow to get in the way. In fact, I, I hear them all over the country because that's all I do now is mobilize. And I get to hear all the excuses of why people aren't going. And, and I've just kind of created a little acrostic. It's, it's the cost. C-O-S-T. It's the cost is what keeps me, most people from doing what the Bible is very clear about, about declaring His glory among the nations, about enlarging the vision and getting out there among the people and getting to tell stories about a chief that you thought was going to run you out of the village thanking you for bringing the gospel to his people. You don't get stories like that staying in the safety of your home. So let's talk about that real quick. I, I did the cross it because it just allows me real quickly. When I get just a few minutes to speak to a church, I just try to knock down those excuses. And the first one literally is the cost, the cash. And, and I'm the poster child for that because the very first time I was invited to go to Amazon, my wife and I talked about it. Well, it's just not a good time. That time, that trip was about $3,000. And we could afford for us to go. It was really a priority issue. But there's a lot of other ways we could use that $3,000. And so I'm very rational, pragmatic. I thought, you know, this isn't a good time. In fact, when is there ever a good time to spend that kind of money to go to some other nation and talk to people about Jesus? And uh, I was going to call the guy. It was like the deadline. I was going to say, hey, I, I'm not going. But as loudly as I've ever heard God speak, I heard him say, you're trusting in money and not in me. And I had to tell the guy, I said, I was going to tell you no, but I, I know I'm going to be disobeying the Lord. And so we, we sacrificially paid and went. The next year was very different, though. My wife has fibromyalgia. She's a beautiful woman. You never know by looking at her, but she had to retire early from teaching, and that was a 40% pay cut, and I knew I was supposed to go back to the Amazon because God did such incredible things. And I also knew that we literally could not afford that kind of expense. And for the first time in my life, and I'm so thankful that God put us through that to be in that financial position because now I can tell people, you know what, if... If God's calling you to go and you'll be humble and ask, because I'd never asked for money in my life. I was always the pastor. Hey, here, poor missionary, let us help you. you know, let us give. And I was always on this side. And, and now for the first time in my life, I was on the other side. Like, I, want, I know God wants me to go, but I literally can't afford it. I'm going to have to step out in faith and trust that God will provide. And I told her, I said, I won't go unless God gives us the opportunity to go. And I wasn't going to ask my church. But I did have a men's group that I led outside of my church. I thought, well, I'll just ask them. And it was pitiful the way I asked. I said, well, would you kind of sort of, you know, I, I, I kind of feel, feel like I'm supposed to be going to Amazon. And, you know, just embarrassed, sheepishly, horrible ask. And I'm so thankful that one of my friends in that group afterwards said, don't you ever apologize for asking for God's mission to continue in the world and deprive me of the opportunity to be part of what he's doing on the Amazon. And I thought, you know what, you're right. If it's about me, then it, well, would you kind of sort of help me? You know, I, I kind of like to go. But, it, but if you're going for God, 
then you should unashamedly say, you know what, I can't afford to go, but I need your help. Would you pray for me, and would you support me so we can be part of God's work, what He's doing in the world? And I believe God has a message for you, too. You're trusting in money and not in Him. The same message He spoke to me just some years ago, I believe, is a message He speaks to some of you today. That you could justifiably show us your bank account, but you know what, the first miracle of missions often, often happens before we ever get there. I counseled a couple a lot. They had a lot of marriage troubles. And whenever I announced the trip at my church when I was pastoring, one of the first ones that came up said, hey, I feel called to go. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, you're not. You, you can't afford it. You're broke. I, I, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I didn't tell him I, w- I was thinking these things in the flesh. But I said, okay, you know, between you and God, this guy, and it was tough. He had to work. He procrastinated. We had to, but before it was all said and done, he had over $300 over what he was supposed to raise, to, and he gave it to somebody else. And I've seen miracle after miracle for those. I mean, the truth is, don't we want the Jordan to split, then we'll walk through it? Don't we want God to drop it down into our bank account, and then we'll go? That's not the way it works. We need to overcome the obstacle of cash. And no longer let that be an excuse. I was going back to the cross at cash, or cost, cost being cash. The other one is outsourcing. As I question God, why me? I'm the least likely person that should be leading a short term. I don't deserve it. I haven't been in the game. Mark deserves to be leading something like this, not me. But now, as I've thought about that, I, I think I know why, and it's because <clears throat> I understand what it's like to be on your side especially if you grew up Southern Baptist with this incredible thing called the cooperative program where we were encouraged just to pray and give to missions. And it's this great machine that has done great things for the kingdom of God around the world. But the downside to the cooperative program is that we have felt comfortable outsourcing missions. And we feel like we've done our duty, but the truth is, just like me, some of you have a low-grade guilt that you know that's not enough. And here's why I think God put me in this place. It's because I have a message, a, a song that says this, that the days of just praying and giving to missions is over. You need to go. Stop outsourcing. Start putting a new song in your heart for the nations. And then I have a little acrostic to keep me on track. Safety is obviously a big thing, you know, well, you know, aren't there, like for the Amazon in particular, you know, they always think of piranhas and snakes and, and big bugs, big as dogs, and, you know, just all these different things about what, what it is. And, you know, the truth is, if we were really honest, our, our dream is that we would die in our old age in our bed asleep. Safety is a bit of an idol in our, in our, our culture comfort, our gated communities, just every way we can bubble ourselves from the hardships of the world, as though our faith were intended just to make our life easier and better, when in reality, as we study the Gospels, we see actually following Christ makes life harder, and that we should embrace that, that we'd be like the disciples that considered it a a privilege to suffer for Jesus. John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, tells about reading and Reader's Digest about this 50-year-old guy, that's pretty young, in my opinion. <coughs> Made it big on Wall Street, retired. He and his wife bought this really nice boat, 
and sailed up and down the Florida coast collecting seashells and playing softball. And he said, when I first read it, Piper says this, I was like, are you joking? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> What's wrong with that? That's an American dream, isn't it? And then he contrasted that with a story that he read a little while after that about two 80-year-old women missionaries in Africa that the brakes went out in their Jeep, they went down a cliff, and both of them died. And you think, how tragic. But then he took scripture and showed hey in reality before god that we're going to stand before what do you want to stand before him hey lord look at all the seashells look at my softball record look at these wonderful things i got to do with with my wealth and resources and time or would you rather be lord i i was 80 years old i wish you'd give me i'd die for you 10 more times a thousand more times if you'd give me the opportunity because i didn't want to waste my life collecting seashells Safety is way, way overrated. Don't waste your life playing it safe. I remember when I was getting all those shots, yellow fever, malaria mess, and I thought, whoa, you know, this is scary. But you know what? I've suffered for Jesus so little it would be an honor that any discomfort I can endure for the gospel, I consider it a privilege. The last thing is time, and we're going through a little cross of the cost, what keeps us from going on mission to be among the nations, and it's simply time. And let me just say this. I know everybody's busy, but let me ask you this. If every mission out there said, hey, we'll give you a million dollars if you'll go with us, do you think you'd find time in your schedule? And the answer is yes. We shows you it's not a time issue. It's a priority issue. And yes, you know, I'm all for vacations. I'm all for enjoying nice things. But if you never go on mission and it always goes towards those things with your time, then you're going to regret it. Don't waste your life on things that aren't going to have eternal weight. Spend some time and, and cut out at least once a year some time. Do some very outwardly focused things. Go on an international mission trip. I know you've got three different options internationally. I want to show you what, what motivates me. If you, there's, there should be a picture of a family. This is Chiana Vanderlei. Chiana was in a women's ministry. There was a team from the U.S., an Amazon outreach team, and she heard the gospel for the first time. They know about Jesus, but it's a very distorted Jesus. Uh, mixed in with some natural spiritism and, and some little voodoo, and they're just afraid of anything out there, and they're trying to make their life easier. But, but she heard the gospel that, that, that Jesus is more powerful than all the spirits on the river because he's God. And that he's not angry at her, but he had exactly had actually absorbed God's wrath on her behalf. And she actually believed that. And she got so excited, she ran home to tell her husband, Vanderlei. Vanderlei, in another part of the village, and another men, in the men's ministry, also trusted Christ. And he came to tell his wife, and they were very excited, except for that excitement didn't last for very long, because the village wasn't very excited about it. They were very close to the gospel. They told them that you need to turn from, the, from this Jesus. She was the president of that village, and she was removed from her position. He lost his job. Someone tried to burn their house down. They turned to their family for help. Their family said, if you'll recant Jesus, then we'll help you, but otherwise we can't. And then they packed up their little canoe with everything they had, their two small boys. And I can't describe how big a deal this is. I mean, we can just uproot and go move to another city, but on the river, you need your community. 
It's too hard to just be on your own. And they were leaving every bit of security, financial, social, relational, everything they were leaving behind, this brand new believers, because they so believed that God was for them, that he died for them, and that he loved them. And I asked this one, I was in their village a couple of years ago, I said, how, how did you do that? And she said, I just knew that Jesus would take care of us. And here we are now, I'm in their, their little community, and they've got this beautiful home from, for Amazon standards. They've got a water well, which is just gold on the river. They've got uh, a little dorm, because people that come and spend the night the night before, and they have youth ministry going on. They've got a church. Now the church is just a pavilion, just a roof, open air. But they have 80 to 100 people now going to that church. That this couple who left everything, and, and as I'm just looking around at what God has done to this faithful family, first of all, I'm feeling so unworthy to be there because I've suffered and sacrificed so little for Jesus. I just told her, I said, I think, I said God is greatly honoring your sacrifice. And she immediately, of course, it's through a translator, she immediately shakes her head. And she said, I've sacrificed nothing compared to what Jesus has done for me. And I thought, I'm not worthy to be in your village. Listen, we need to pay the cost because there are others paying a much higher cost. To know that some Americans said, you know, we're going to pay the price. We're going to go there. Today, there's a church. There's light of the gospel and a dark river because some people went among the nations. They paid the price. And then the beauty is there are others that are in villages that will pay the price if we will too. Third thing is this, we must prioritize the unreached and underreached. It says, declare his glory among the nations and among all peoples. And those two words have slight nuances to them. Nations is basically, the, you know, they're writing from a Jewish context. Nations was a word that meant any non-Jewish nation, meaning it weren't the covenant people. In fact, I like the King James Version better. It says, declare his glory among the heathen. Those that don't know God, that's the people that need to hear it because we have the opportunity to hear it. All peoples is a word about mixed multitudes. It would be like the Samaritans. This is people like the Samaritans that, that they had God, but it was a distorted version of God. So what we've got here is like the nations would be the 1040 window. There's, no, there's so little gospel presence in that 1040 window where most of the Muslims and the Islamic people live, very little knowledge of Jesus. And then we've got areas like the river, which would be more the mix. There's been a mixture of, of syncretized Christianity with voodoo and spiritism. And, and so both of those contexts should be our priority in getting the gospel. Because one of the big obstacles, and some of you thought this yourself, why go there when there's so much need here? Anybody ever thought that? I, I certainly did. I'm a pragmatist. I'm like, why, why would we go there? We can make so much difference here. Well, let me give you a little story real quick. <coughs> I have till noon, right, Mark? No, no, no. <laughs> no. Uh, I was in Manaus at a missions conference. It was like God was giving me a one-two punch. One, I, I was in this incredible conference where they were spot speaking about declaring God's glory to the nations, and then I was on the river doing it, and it just, that's, that's when I was wrecked. But I, I, was, I, told, I was told this story, and I've used it a hundred times since then because it makes sense to me, so I want to share it with you why we must prioritize the unreached and underreached. 
Let's take John. John lives in Lufkin. He drinks way too much. He's abusive to his family. He's a jerk. But he's getting tired of it. He, he's starting to think, I don't want to be this kind of man. And he knows about Jesus. I mean, you can't not have heard of Jesus in Lufkin, Texas. And, and so if John was inclined to want to change and want to see if Jesus maybe could help him change, do you think John could find a church in Lufkin, Texas? I know a pretty good one that I'm standing in this morning. And I'm sure there's other great churches in Lufkin, Texas, probably one on every corner, uh, kind of metaphorically speaking. But let's say John wouldn't go to church. Let's say that you know, he just couldn't do it. He's embarrassed. He's afraid the roof, roof is going to cave in, all those silly things that keep people out. And do you think maybe John could find a Bible in his language? Sure he could. I could have taken one from the nice hotel this morning, and uh, Gideon's doing a good work or online for free. But if he couldn't read uh, and he didn't want to go to church, do you think maybe John knows at least one real Christian in Lufkin, Texas, that he could say, hey, tell me about this Jesus? When you have those three things in a culture, you have what's called a reach culture. That doesn't mean everybody's saved, but it means everybody in Lufkin, Texas has accessibility. But there are parts of the world that is not the case. Let's take Joan. That's my very poor Portuguese for John. And Joan lives in a village, and, and he also drinks too much, and he's also abusive to his family, and he's a jerk, and he wants to change, and maybe even he has heard the name of Jesus, and he wants to learn more. Is there a church in his village? And in 80% of those 30,000-plus villages, there is not. And if there's no church, would there be a Bible in his own language? And in over 80% of over 30,000 villages, the answer is no. He doesn't have access to a Bible to even discover who Jesus is. And if not a church or a Bible, is there a viable believer in his village that he can say, hey, tell me about Jesus? In over 80% of the villages. And here's one that excites me about working in Brazil. God's moving in Brazil. Uh... Back when we started in the 90s, there was only a single-digit number of evangelicals in Brazil, and especially on the river. Today, it's hit about 22%. It's lower on the river because it's hard to get to the gospel. The inaccessibility of the villages makes it harder, and that's what I love playing a small role. We're one of the few that do what we do on the river. But it is estimated by the, in the next decade that half of Brazil is going to be evangelical. That's the kind of movement that God is working and that's why I love being part of going to the areas that are the hardest to reach in Brazil, to the forgotten people. That's why I love going to churches and challenging them to get a heart for the nations. And it does not have to be for Brazil, but it needs to be a nation. Beyond Lufkin, Texas, and the United States, as wonderful as those two places are, expand your vision. Stop excusing yourself and start prioritizing the unreached and underreached and pour your resources and your life into those as well. And I'll end with this. We must continually stir our affections for the gospel. You see, what is it that we are exporting here? You know, it's not sugar water. Here, here's what it is. We, we are to declare His glory and His marvelous deeds. And we need to understand that when, when David wrote this, uh, he's talking about 
you know, the Exodus. He's talking about the parting of the Jordan. He's talking about all the great military victories. He's talking about fire coming from heaven and, and all these different things and marvelous things that God had done to protect and sustain and to grow Israel into a nation. But he had no idea just how marvelous God was going to enter into history. You see, he didn't know the gospel and the magnitude of what he was going to do. You know, there's so many ways. When we talk about his marvelous deeds and, and his glory, uh, whenever I say that, because you talk about glory, it's such a big word, it can mean everything and therefore mean nothing. But here's what I, I like to associate God's glory with, is that he is a friend of sinners. That's... I love the way I think it was Piper said this, that here's the gospel. It's where the wisdom of God found a way for the love of God to satisfy the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. How can a holy God have a relationship with dirty people? Well, his wisdom found a way because of his love to satisfy the wrath without compromising his justice. Now, I would never try to use that in the villages. I mean, if I mentioned John Piper or one of the theologians, you know, it's, ooh, you know. had a pastor one time start talking about the Greek word of this means this. I'm like, oh, brother, man, you, you, you missed. You got to contextualize here. But what I love is because I need to keep the gospel pretty low on a simple level that it actually helps me understand it better and, and enjoy it more. One thing I do is we often, in, in Carpenter's Way, has been responsible for a lot of wells on the river, and especially in these new areas that have opened up for the gospel. And I love doing the well dedications. I'll just you pull it, because they love stories, so I just tell about John chapter 4. And I just want to give you a real simple, by ending this message, just talk about the beauty of this message that we want to declare to make sure we're exporting the right thing. Because some of you are still little Pharisees. Some of you still think, you know, you're kind of earning some points here this morning. Some of you, you had a really bad week, and you think you're kind of catching up a little bit, and you don't really understand the gospel, because I was 23 before I got it. I'd heard it all my life, but I was a little moralist, and, and I wasn't gospel-centered, and, and what I had to share with others really wasn't worth having. Hey, be really good, maybe at the end, maybe God will let you in, plus Jesus. I just want to share a simple way that I share with villages because I figure um, it's a good way to, to understand his marvelous deeds and his glory. When we do a well, I'll tell the villages, say, hey, uh, this, village, this, this well's for everybody because they all want the wells because they know it's going to give them health and help their community in, in tremendous ways. And I'll say, you know, Jesus was one time at a well. And, and this well that we're at is actually a gift to you but know it came from Jesus. And it doesn't matter what you believe. You may not believe in God. You may worship this river here. We want you to know God is good, and, and through Jesus you have this well. But Jesus talked about a different kind of water because you'll drink this water in this well, and you're going to thirst again. But, but Jesus talked about this stuff called living water. And then I'll hold up the two bottles of river water. This is it's usually not quite that dark, but it's nasty. And I'll take the well water, which is pure and clean, to give them a picture of what they've been drinking and what they now have. And living water being the forgiveness of God through Christ on the cross. And I'll ask the question, I'll say, 
you know, do you know what it takes to go to heaven? It takes perfection. It takes sinlessness, perfect righteousness. And this represents the pure, clean water that would be required to go to heaven. Anybody in here perfect and righteous? Anybody here never sinned? And of course, they're, they, they're fully aware of their, their shortcomings. Uh, no, we're, we're more like this river water here, aren't we? We're dirty. We've got stuff floating around in our lives that doesn't belong there. And so the question is, how can dirty people become clean like this so that we can have eternal life? And the answer is, just like that well is bringing clean water to you, the cross of Christ brings righteousness to you. You see, Jesus on the cross took our sin, and he, I always pretend, I never drank it, I'm not going to do that, but I, I just symbolically say, you know, in the garden, he says, if there's any way that this cup could pass, but nevertheless not my will, but thy will, and he drank that cup on the cross, didn't he? and what was he doing? He was drinking the punishment for my sin and your sin upon his righteous body enduring the wrath of God on the cross. And his life was the only perfect life. And he takes our sin upon his body and then offers the gift of his perfect life for those who would take it. And here's the problem. I like Mark Batterson's quote. We, say, we, we tend to have just enough of the world where we can't enjoy Jesus. And just enough Jesus where we can't enjoy the world. So why not go all in? And I'll take that bottle and say, this is what God wants from you. He wants you to receive this living water. That's what eternal life is. You drink, receive the living water of Jesus Christ. Would anybody like this? It's that simple. You'll never get this clean, but you can receive a gift today. Would you bow with me? Lord, my prayer for this morning was twofold. One, was that people that didn't know they were going on mission would enlarge their vision and their heart and that they would take the big step the scary step of saying, I'm going on mission this year. I'm not going to excuse myself any longer. But Lord, also, I know there's some here that it's just never clicked. They're still trying to clean their own life up. And maybe today they finally give up in that futile effort and say, you know what, it's only by faith in what you did for me on the cross. That is the only way that I can have eternal life. And that today they would make a complete all-in commitment to say, my salvation is through Christ alone. And if that's you this morning, I want to ask that you would pray this prayer just in the silence of where you sit. And I want to lead you in a prayer, but I want it to be from your heart to God. I'll just be your guide. And you just say this in the silence of where you sit. Oh, Jesus, Lord, my life is so dirty. Lord, if people really knew me, I would be embarrassed. But I know now that the cross was because you knew I could never get my life together. 
And I know that it is my only hope, that it is your righteousness, is a gift to me that I am receiving now by faith. That I can have confidence that me, a dirty sinner, can be your friend because of the cross. I thank you for your cleansing power. I thank you for entering into my life. And by faith, I thank you that I am now your child. And I commit this day forward to live for your glory, to tell of your marvelous deeds, to be your servant. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to tell one of the counselors that will be up here at some point. I'm not sure how this operates, but you need to tell somebody, hey, today I claim Christ as my Savior. If you won't declare it here, you're certainly not going to declare it out there. It's, it's no, nothing magical. It's, it's just you need to declare the marvelous deeds of Jesus. If you've trusted Christ, tell someone today. It's been an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, God bless Carpenter's Way and all that you're doing. Love to meet you out there at the back. Uh, go somewhere in the world today. I'm biased, so I'll try not to push that too much this morning. But uh, go on mission and declare his glory among the nations. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> thank you again. Wonderful message. I want to first thank all of y'all for being here this morning. I'm going to ask Kevin Hudson to come up. If anyone that's involved with one of the ministry tables out there, if y'all would go ahead and stand. And I know some of you are representing people in Russia or wherever it may be, but if you would stand. And then I'm going to, I'm going to ask... Uh, the uh, church to gather around these people and lay hands on them. Uh, after we pray, Kevin's going to pray for us. Uh, then give them a few minutes to get out to their tables, and then y'all can go out and visit. So if the church body, if y'all would go ahead and stand up and just gather around these people uh, as close as you can, and then I'm going to let Kevin close us in prayer. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you of being reminded of your goodness, of your graciousness, of your glory, and of your love for us. We pray that you will continue to um, allow the Holy Spirit to abide in our hearts and to take us forward on the walk that you've laid before us that we may make our plans, but that you continue to direct our footsteps day by day. We thank you for those that are among us today, some who are here on a regular basis in Lufkin, Texas, and some who are in many places throughout the nations and throughout our community. And we pray that you will continue to go with them day by day as they continue to serve you in the many different ministries represented here today. And we pray that we may continue to assist them and guide them and pray for them and ask your blessing upon them. We pray that um, this blessing may uh, abide with them and go with them. We ask, may the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with each of you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm, 
May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's give uh, our missionaries about 30 <laughs> seconds to get out to their tables. And uh, then I'd encourage you to go and spend some time. The kids are going to remain in their program. We'd ask that you give them a half hour or 45 minutes before you pick your kids up. That gets you plenty of time to go be with them. Thank you guys for being here and being invested. <laughs>